1: We're an LDS couple who struggled with unwanted pornography in our marriage for many years. What was once our greatest struggle and something we thought would destroy us has become our greatest blessing and triumph.
0: Our hope is that as you listen to our podcast each week, you'll be filled with hope and healing and realize that you too can thrive beyond pornography and create the marriage you have always desired.
1: Welcome to Thrive Beyond Pornography.
0: We're so glad you're here and we believe in you.
1: Hey everybody, welcome to Thrive Beyond Pornography. I'm your host, Zach Spafford. And today I have a couple of special guests with me, uh, friends of mine and people who I have enjoyed working with and have coached, uh, Greg and Amy Langford. They are, uh, Gr- Amy, why don't you guys tell your, tell us a little bit about yourselves? I know Amy is a life coach in her own right, and she's pretty awesome. Uh, but okay. why don't you guys tell us a little bit about yourselves? And
2: Hey, yeah, it's, uh, it's great to be here, Zach. I appreciate you having us on. Uh, we've been married for 25 years now. Uh, during that time, we've, we've had our ups and our downs and, and struggles, but about several years ago, Amy got into life coaching and we've learned a lot about ourselves and what we can do to have a better relationship. And so it's been a really exciting journey here for the last few years. And I really appreciated her learning that and be able to share that with me. And so we're grateful to be on here and be able to talk about our journey and hopefully it will help some other folks along the way.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that. Amy, anything you want to add to that?
3: Sure. Um, I'll add that we have four kids and and love them. And our oldest is married now. And as they are starting into their own relationships and lives, the conversations that we've had between us have opened up a lot of om- honest conversations with them as well in all of these areas. And so not only At the beginning, I feel like when we discovered this, it felt like our Achilles heel that was going to take us down as a marriage where we thought like, we're such a great team or we're such a great pair. And this is going to be the thing that takes us down. And it ended up being the thing that brought us most together and developed us the most. And on top of that has really, I feel like also accelerated our ability to have conversations with our children too.
1: So, when you say the thing that was going to bring you down, I think you're talking about pornography.
3: Yes, yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, that's cool. Hey,
1: why do you think you felt that way, either of you?
3: I feel like the messaging that I received around it was that this was the most sinful thing that could happen. And it was equivalent to like my husband cheating on me and breaking the marriage vows. And wow. if that was. know and the betrayal from that and also when we went in for our first uh, like when after we found it and then went into our first counselor the counselor literally said like he'll never recover and this is an addiction so it felt like now we have this thing that's going to take all the goodness and all of the strength that we have as a couple and this is going to be the thing that destroys it
2: yeah, I would have to agree. I mean, I really think it's the shame that you're built up from a very young age. I mean, we've been given that shame from the way we were raised, but also from the culture we were brought up into. Right? Sex was such a thing that they didn't want to talk about or or bring up, and really, you know, we talked about Satan's slippery slide. Like, if you know, you go down this slide, there's no return. So to me, it was all the expectations that were put on yourself and the things that you're been brought to, and the shame behind it that kept it from wanting not to be honest with Amy from the first place, right? And so when that was discovered in our situation, it wasn't something I went to Amy to. She discovered it, which I think was even probably worse because it was the, not only the betrayal, but the dishonesty between us that that became the problem. So for me, really, it was the way that we had been raised and taught that this was such an awful thing and not that we're going out and praising and saying, everyone shouldn't have porn and that's what we want to do. Right. But we definitely had put a lot of power in it. And because that power was there when it, when the atomic bomb went off, it felt like an atomic bomb for sure.
1: So Amy discovers you choosing pornography and all of a sudden what happened?
2: Yeah, I'll, I'll never forget it, right? Uh, I woke up Sunday morning, and Amy was standing next to the bed and had a look that I'd never seen before in her face. And um, I had no idea what was about to happen to me. But she, she came at me and let me know that she had found what I'd been looking at on the computer, and there was no hiding it. The instant feeling was of terror. Um, you know, is my marriage going to last? Uh, what's going to happen? And obviously, I... I didn't have anything to say, right? I didn't have any explanation. I couldn't uh, couldn't lie it away this time. It was very obvious what happened. I remember calling the bishop and asking to go, you know, go visit him at that time, and and having that starting that process. Uh, there was so much confusion around it. I think that was the problem, right? Here again, Amy talked about how she had been betrayed, and she thought, really, I literally had cheated on her because of this. My bishop really didn't. how to handle it right he didn't have any emotional or uh, understanding what i was going through or why i might be doing this right it was just you know this was bad sent us to a therapist that amy talked about that told me i was a complete addict and that i would i had this problem that i'd never get over so there was a lot of confusion around it right and all it did was push us away from each other there was no coming together i remember at one point probably my lowest lows at that point where um, the bishop had come over to our house and, um, you know, I was sleeping on the couch. I went to stay with my mom for a little bit. We were just really confused what was going on. And after a conversation, after the bishop had come over, Amy said something to the effect that, you know, I love you because you're a son of our Heavenly Father, but, you know, the, that's the that, that's the only thing. And it was literally like the biggest gut punch I'd ever had in my life um, because here I knew that it was me that I had brought this upon our family and destroyed our family, seeing the Hanley because of my evilness, and that was the story that was being told to me. Wow,
1: Amy, what when you found out and you're standing over that bed and you're looking at Greg and all of those thoughts and feelings are running through your head. What what was going
3: on for you? I think I felt so hurt and so betrayed and and I I was shocked like it really was shocking to me I think the dishonesty was a huge source of betrayal and then also like all of the messaging like we've been talking about that I had of the meaning of what I had found and what it meant about him and it it brought up things like do I even know you and you know like What else is a lie, and what else is true? And like, am I have I been partaking in this life that's like a lie? And so it just it completely shattered so many things that I I didn't have any way to look at these pieces with any meaning that was helpful. All of it was just hurtful, and all of it was destructive. And there was actually no help for me. No one ever talked to me. There was no like other woman or other person. And so it all went inside me because at that point it was shameful to admit it to anyone. And there was no hand reached out in my direction.
1: Yeah. Well, and I wonder, you know, I think a lot of, especially in the church, I think a lot of church leaders just don't know what to do for the wives it's this uh, it's this position of you're you're going to destroy your marriage and there's nothing we can do about it except for punish him Mm -hmm. that's that's so frustrating to think about and that's not i don't think that's anybody's fault i just think that's unfortunately the 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 bag we've been given and we have to deal with it but
2: yeah it's it's definitely a fine line that you walk right because the wife has been such a betrayer at that point right and Mm -hmm. It has, or the spouse, you know, it can be other ways, but most likely it's the wife um, He's is right. in such betrayal. But we know, we've come to know, and we'll get to all this stuff when we talk about it, that there's, you know, we both played into that role, right? There was a role that Amy played, and there was a role that I played. That got us to that point. But it's at that point, if you don't have the tools necessary to be able to have that conversation, you're just going to end up destroying one or the other or both, right? Because I can't imagine our bishop at that time coming and saying, well, Amy, you played a role in this, you know, let's talk about all the things you've done that <laughs> could cause this. I mean, that would have gone terribly bad, right? Yeah. Uh, and so again, there's just not, there's not the tools out there to be able to have the real discussion to get down to the crux of what's causing the issue and what really is the issue right porn to me is very much the smoke to a, a lot, lot bigger fire right and the things that underlie are heavier and burning and more destructive than that, the porn itself and we just focus on that smoke and cause it to be what the problem is but we didn't have any the tools or anybody that could help us understand what that burning fire was or anything or
3: so greg said
1: something oh go ahead
3: Oh, no. Like, I mean, I felt like at that time, there was literally no strand or no meaning or no thread anywhere to grab onto and say, there's hope. Like, there's a way to work through this or a way to heal your pain or a way to find out why or a way to like, navigate this, there was literally nothing.
1: Yeah. So when when you're in that position of, I don't have a way to solve this. and, And Greg said something that's a little bit we'll call it controversial that you guys were responsible together for this scenario. Uh, And I want to touch on that for a bit. Amy, can you tell us what your thoughts are on that idea?
3: Yes. So my part to play in this was I was emotionally underdeveloped and was relying on Greg to take care of or wanting him to take care of literally all of my emotions, all of my stress, all of my anxiety. And I was constantly pulling on him for that and it was so overwhelming to him to first of all manage himself and let alone manage me and all of my emotions and we didn't have a way to understand like like I thought that was his job <laughs> You were told that was his his job, job.
1: by the way. Right,
3: I was told that was his job. (laughs) And he thought it was his job too. And so the weight of a lot of that was that overwhelm is what led him into looking for that buffer through porn, right? So my part in it was being emotionally underdeveloped and constantly pulling in him for that. And not only that, in my emotional underdevelopment, a lot of times I relied on him in all intimacy ways, I was also sexually underdeveloped and didn't know who I was or what my sexuality was and relied completely on him for that. And that was also another thing that led him there. So.
1: So can you expand on that just a little bit? Like, what does it mean in in practical terms to be emotionally underdeveloped in such a way that your husband chooses to hide from you?
3: It means that I thought it was his job to fix all of my emotions and was constantly bringing all of them to him to fix and, and laying them at his feet. Like you got to figure out how to solve my stress with these kids, how to solve my overwhelm with these babies. You've got to make more money. You've got to, um, make me feel better about myself and make me love my body. And you've got to, like, I was laying all of those at his feet and never once realizing they were actually mine.
1: Gotcha. So
3: does that make sense?
1: Yeah, I think so. So Greg, from your perspective now, I, I imagine in the, in the depths of this, you had no vocabulary for anything that we're talking about now. Right. So I can, I can imagine looking back, you can see some things from your perspective, what was going on for you that you're like, I can't trust Amy with this problem.
2: Yeah. I mean, um, you know we're we're taught that we're supposed to be the strong family character. You know that we're the ones that we're the family head. We're the lead. If it's up to us to make it. If we don't make it, uh, the the whole family is going to hell in handbasket, and it's our fault, right? Um, and you got to be the strong one. So when when your spouse is bringing all those issues, uh, emotional insecurity and uh, potential, you know, financial issues to your, to you if you've been taught that you are, that's your responsibility, that's what you do, right? And you're going to do everything you can to make sure you 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 can do that. And even when, so when I was doing that and not having a, realizing I had a problem, I mean, I knew that watching porn wasn't a good thing. Like, I didn't think like, yeah, this is great for our marriage. Right. I knew even worse that lying to her was even, was even worse. But at that point, it was a super nice guy, right? I was going to do everything that I could to take care of her I didn't want to put any more burden on her because it was my responsibility. And, um, if she was already emotionally unstable, if I would have brought this to her, my thought was just, I don't know what happened. Right. I would either put her in a place that was very, very unhealthy, uh, you know, our marriage, Mary there, there was no, the thought of doing it, the destruction that happened after that, there was no concept of me thinking I could bring it to her that, in a safe way.
3: And that was
1: true. It's interesting. And I think people hear this idea that this is a co-creation and they want to immediately thrust back all responsibility to the man or to the person choosing pornography. That's not to say, by the way, that, you know, Amy, you weren't responsible for him choosing pornography, but you were responsible for an environment in which if he was choosing pornography, it would be difficult for him to confide in you what was real and what was intimately going on with him when he was alone with himself, right? And I, I think we we do we do ourselves a disservice to thrust all that back onto the person who's done the bad thing, because I don't think that that's fair. That's not to say, by the way, that you know, again, Amy, you you weren't obviously responsible for his choices, but can you can you articulate for us? Any thoughts you have about that idea where instead of it being Greg's problem, when you took on responsibility for your own part in this reality, how that changed the dynamic between the two of you and your own capacity in this struggle?
3: Absolutely. I think how that changed, it was like really like night and day changed. Um, first of all, I didn't know, I, I didn't realize that I could take on my own emotions. And so like life coaching has helped me learn how to understand that and how to process through them and take ownership of them. But the thing was, is I couldn't tolerate his honesty yet because I wasn't honest with myself yet. And so growing honest with myself allowed me to be able to tolerate his honesty and he also to tolerate my honesty and our ability to be more honest has exponential or like it has increased and increased and increased and increased and increased, not the type of honesty that is cruel or unkind, but the type of honesty that is very raw and real and open and vulnerable. Yeah. This is not like attacking each other. This is like recognizing how you are difficult or how you aren't contributing or how you're expecting someone else to solve something for you or how you are not taking ownership.
1: Yeah, I really like what you're saying there because wh- my wife has a, a grandma who says the meanest things and it's honesty <laughs> in air quotes for, the, for those of you listening on, on the radio, right? It's she's just mean and she says mean things and she thinks she's just being honest. And that's I don't think that's what you're talking about.
3: No, I, think, I don't think cruelty is honest. No, I think in fact, the real the real essence of honesty is very raw and vulnerable and kind and it doesn't come out cruel.
2: No. there's all kinds of intent behind it. Right. And it depends on the intent behind it. Right. If you're, yeah. even if you're bringing, being honest, so that you can throw away your baggage to someone else, that's not the right purpose. Right. If you're being honest, through, like we said, to be cruel, that's not the right purpose. And it's really, and by the way, just so everyone can understand this took a long, a very, very long time. Right. First of all, cause we didn't have the tools for a very, very long time. And then when we got the tools, we would learn little bits of a At at a time and get things better, but it felt like it was a real struggle to, you know, as Amy said, it's night and day, it is night and day, but it really did take some time to be able to get there. And and there's very vivid moments in our relationship where a little more honesty came out. We didn't quite handle it correctly. We regressed. We worked, we worked, we worked. A little more honesty came out. We handled it better. I went on for a little while. And then it, it felt like a belt and belt and belt like a snowball. I feel like probably in the last year or so that snowballs hit the top of the mountain and come roaring down and the the relationship on the other side is unbelievable. Like I just keep pinching myself every once in a while. Is this really, is this really us? Right. And it's, you know, intimacy, it's, it's ugly, right? People want to be intimate because they want, they think it's great and lovely and it's hard and it sucks sometimes. And uh, I've, had Amy tell me some of the things that are the hardest things I've ever heard. But it's when you try to finally get to that top of that mountain and can push it over where you feel like no matter what's going on inside of me, I have a soft place to go land. And then that's Amy. I can bring that problem with Amy. I mean, even during those years, there were points where I wouldn't view for a very long time, right? And then I would, I don't even say mess up, but I would see something and view something and that, that I don't think I probably should have. But I still didn't have that soft place where I could go Amy land like so it really was this big this this a lot of effort getting getting there but when we got there it was night and day uh depending on what our relationship was
3: yeah at first when we learned the tools we used them as weapons against each other <laughs> yeah. and then we did this move where we were like so entangled with each other we came like completely separate like you know like a, this not healthy independence and then had to learn to lean in and then had to learn to keep moving in that honesty so there's been a lot of stages over the years and i think each one was another step in the right direction even if they were all clean and beautiful and you know clear they it it, it can be difficult to move through but each one was a step in the right direction still yeah that makes sense
2: what what brought you to me greg so I think at that time we'd gotten a lot of the tools that uh, we talked about. You know, Amy has been going through life coach, and I i would come to i would come a long ways. I'll never forget, you know, and I always talk about this. And I told Jennifer Finley from Five to her, you know, when I talked to her to her face about this, but I'll never forget the moment when I was flying into U- uh, Salt Lake City for a business trip, and I was landing on the tarmac, and I was listening to her podcast, and the final moment where I heard that I wasn't a deviant that I was there wasn't something terribly wrong with me and that my sexuality was good and that uh, you know I was I was going to be okay I I sat on the plane and sobbed trying to get my neighbor next to me not to see me right because I was completely embarrassed that's, there was mean, those that's kind really of...
1: how you want every, every
2: year, right, <laughs> right <laughs> exactly yeah, this is the blah, blah, my God. yeah <laughs> um and so those kind of moments had happened already but I still couldn't figure out why i still wanted to that i couldn't handle my stresses and i looked for an out right and 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 it showed up in a lot of ways that that i wanted to come and get a coach it wasn't it wasn't just the porn you know it it seems to switch if you turn off the porn and you're going to start eating a lot if you you know there's other ways to buffer we talk about this buffering and i still didn't have a good handle on um why I was searching out to buffer instead of actually really just dealing with my emotions, and that's why I reached out to you. And Amy's like, "You need a coach. Go get a <laughs> <laughs> of it. it's like, "Go get a coach."
1: <laughs> so, in working with me, what shifted for you?
2: Yeah, really, I think it was just for one. It was just the honesty, right? Um, you never minced words. You never held back, and. I had worked with a different, a few other coaches, right? And I'm the kind of guy, like, I can kind of read through it. Like, I don't want to show up and you tell me, like, Greg, you're the best guy I've ever met. And it, it's all, <laughs> I, I can't believe all the wonderful things you're doing, right? Sometimes you get those kind and I think really what shift is you were, you were just completely, completely honest. I have one example that I'll, I'll never forget. So i had been having some health issues and I was having these, but I would never tell Amy about them, right? If I was didn't feel well, if I was struggling with something, I would never tell Amy about them. Um, because I kind of grew up in a home where my, where my father was that way. Right. And he put a lot of burden onto my mom. And so I was, no matter what I was going to do, I was going to push through it. I wasn't going to tell Amy about it and I was going to do it. And you said something of this fact, like, I don't know what you're doing with this health wise here, but I don't know, I don't know sure how much longer you're going to live with this, but you're acting like you're dead anyway, because you're not having this intimate relationship with Amy because you, you're hiding anyway. So you might as well be dead. Right. Cause you're, you're not having that relationship. And as shocking as those words might have been, it was exactly at the moment where I was like, yeah, Zach's right, right? You know, like I am buffering and hiding and not being intimate with Amy and these kind of things uh, because um, I'm trying to hide these for my own uh, personal reasons. So I think mostly the the turning point was just having someone be brutally honest with you. I think uh, I I remember uh, Peyton Manning talking about this, right? Where he'd be on the football field, and if a coach ever said, "Oh, you did that great," he would just get mad. He's like, "I need to be coached. Like, I'm not looking for someone to tell me to be better. I'm looking for someone to coach me at all times. And if that's brutal, brutal and honest, that's what I need." Yeah. And and again, it wasn't because you were trying to be, you know, it wasn't like you were being mean to me. It wasn't that that part of it. It was what I needed to hear at the time. And so that really what what struck with me.
1: I think there's a difference between truth that is kind but difficult to hear and truth that is mean for the sake of meanness and i and i i try to be kind but i also want you to see what's going on amy what is you because you you've gotten kind of a front row courtside 50 yard line seat to this so what what do you see
3: what do i see that's a big question um, what do I see? I see a man who was afraid of his own sexuality. I see a man who was trying to be everything for me. And if he felt like he was failing, that's where the buffering came in. I see a man who loved me so dearly. He was willing to try and do everything. Um, but but paradoxically, he had to do it for himself first yeah. in order to be available for to, to really love me. And I've seen him face his demons. I've seen him face his fears. I have seen him um, really take some hard truths. I mean, the truth will set you free, but it hurts first. <laughs> it cuts. <laughs> and um, I've seen him do some really hard, soul work. And in the process, I've seen him learn to love his sexuality and honor it and see that as a strength and a real part of him. We like to use the word integrated, like a real integrated part of him that he is no longer ashamed of. I've seen him be able to stand stronger in his knowledge of who he is and not have to be the yes man or the good guy or like the validation for others. Like he stood in some pretty thick storms in the last <laughs> little while and, and stood strong in them. And I've seen him find other avenues to, uh, to work through stress like with um, his horseback riding and therapy, uh, horse his equine therapy that he works in um, other healthier avenues that help him work through that in ways that he respects so that he can hold his head high and his self-respect high
1: so one of the reasons i think people don't tell their spouses what's really going on for them is is that they're trying to manage their spouse yes so that they can feel good greg it sounds like you you've let go a lot of managing amy what was that process like and how has that changed for you
2: Yeah, the the big kick in the head was realizing that uh, I was—if I I was—I wasn't—I don't think I'm addicted to porn, but if I'm addicted to anything, it would have been addicted to validation. Uh, When when I discovered that, I found it everywhere in my life. I found it in my married relationship. I found it in relationship with my kids. I found it at work. I found it at church. I found you, you name a place. I found that I was seeking for everyone else to tell me that I was great and wonderful and that I could be validated in the things I've done. You know, what I've come to learn and the things that's really changed is that no matter what people say, they can't actually validate you, right? Because you have to believe what they say. So you, you know, Zach could tell me I'm the best guy in the whole entire world and I'd have to, I have to decide whether Zach's lying or, or telling the truth, right? And of course he's oh. telling the truth.
1: And then it doesn't,
2: right. that is true. You are also,
1: but, <laughs> but, but it doesn't even really matter whether I'm telling the truth
2: because right. if you don't feel it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And that's what's really changed. I think what Amy has kind of hinted at a little bit is that when I, you know, we talk about our um, sexual relationship and we talk about our marriage, when you get this part down in your life, to me, it changes every part of your life. I am, I have a job right now that's very stressful now and uh, I have to tell people no all the time. Right. Because I don't have enough resources to do everything for everybody. Would I like to do everything for everybody? Absolutely. But I don't think I could have handled this role that I have today <laughs> in my job in the past because it would have been so unval I don't know what the what's the word for invalidating. unvalidating. <laughs> invalidating. It'd be so invalidating that I would I wouldn't have been a blind. I right? just think I was, I was crappy. And I and I catch myself doing that every once in a while where I'll get like, oh. And then I'll have to stop and remind myself, like, no, like I know I'm standing in the right place, that I'm prioritizing the right things and doing the right things. I'm listening to the right people and, and I'm doing what is right. And I'm okay with that. And even if someone's not very happy with me. And I think that's the same way with your spouse, right? I know sometimes I'll do stuff and I'll say things that Amy doesn't like and she's not very happy with me. And I don't like it's not a flippant thing like, oh, just get over yourself. I know you're not happy with me. But it's me being able to say, I'm okay, right? And she doesn't have to like everything I do, nor should she, because if she did, then that'd be weird, right? And so <laughs> I think that was the biggest, biggest change in my life in all places, and really the thing that kept me from realizing that I didn't have to turn to anything, porn or or any other things to be able to buffer the emotions i i have that i could deal with them uh, myself and i could deal them in a way that i knew was right and so getting rid of validation was and again i've been taught the validation itself isn't the bad part right so if someone validates you that's good there should be lots of validations it's when you're seeking or trying to extract it from people and and that's and you can't go on and you think you're terrible unless someone's going to tell you you're great that's when it becomes problematic
3: That's really what I was doing as a wife too, right? Constantly seeking his validation. Tell me I'm good. Tell me I'm enough. Tell me I'm a good mom. Tell me I'm yada, 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 you know, all that. And that's similar, right? Letting go of that and making that his job really strengthened our marriage.
1: Well, when he stopped violating his sense of self to get validation from you, how did that change things for you? Because I, I know Darcy, she said that she hated it when I stopped being super nice.
3: <laughs> I mean, at first it can be a little shocking. You're like, oh, okay. Shocking, I, maybe that's not the right word. Like, I think it's equally wonderful and terrifying.
1: <laughs> Here's yeah. what I mean. Tell us about that.
3: Because they're actually telling you exactly what they think. Wait, what? <laughs> like, right? By ask... the way, Zach,
2: I almost got I almost got attacked at church one time when when I was talking to this in the in men's group. I was telling them that they needed to tell their wives more honestly what they're doing, and I almost like I barely made it out alive. So just yes,
3: all just the men know, put <laughs> them on like
1: put put the wives on pedestals and keep them happy, but don't tell them the truth. That's yeah, a don't really tell good, them the truth. that's a good solid doctrinal. Exactly. <laughs> so I think
3: it's It's wonderful because you start trusting them more because you know, they're actually telling you the truth. It's terrifying because they're telling you the truth. And now you've got to be strong enough in yourself to handle that. And also maybe share yours if it's, you know, if it's necessary or required depending on what's going on and know that your relationship can handle the truth of both of you.
2: I think that's a big part. Like you we're taught our whole time about how, We've got to hold each other up in this relationship, right? And I literally just think it's bullshit, right? It's like <laughs> you've got to be complete individuals. I'm mean, going to have to bleep that. This is a family sorry. show. Oh, Go ahead and bleep that. It is, right? Like it's that's not what a marriage relationship is, right? It's a partnership together. And it's not – Amy's not holding me up and I'm not holding her up. And we would crumble if we were apart. That's it. That's not the way that marriage works. And when you
3: really believed that before, do you remember that, Greggy? Oh I really believed if I lost him, I would fall apart. And he was like, You need to be okay on your own. And I was like, What? Why would I want to be okay on my own? Like, that's why I married you. (laughs) But
2: but but it goes it goes both ways, right? We're we're set up we're set up for failure on both sides, to be completely honest, right? And especially when it comes to intimacy. So I think that's the thing that cuts so hard with porn too, right? Because not only is it, uh, you know, the dishonesty and part of the relationship, but then it's it goes about the most intimate personal thing that you share with your wife and, and sex and sexuality. And that's confusing all to all get out, right? Like
1: yeah,
2: like figuring that out and the way that we've been set ourselves up for the lack of understanding our sexuality is a whole other disastrous mess. And so this just strikes at the, at the core of that
1: well, what would you tell somebody who's, you know, they're sitting there, you know, on the other side of this from where you are now, they're, they're still there, you know, they're looking to pornography for validation. They're looking to their wife for validation. They are consistently choosing to escape their morals and escape their, their discomfort by choosing pornography. What would you tell somebody who's sitting there and they're like, I can't view pornography. I'm not allowed. And and I'm a terrible human. And, all the things that I think we all have kind of felt at some point or another.
2: Yeah, first of all, all that's not none of that's useful, right? Um, I think if you go through the mindset of I can never view pornography, um, one, you're lying because you can, because you keep doing it over and over again, right? And um, two, like if you say like, oh, I have to if I do this, it's going to ruin everything. Like you white knuckle it, that's never going to work. Um, because that's only, that's fleeting. You can only do that for a while. I think everyone out there that's doing this, that has a moral, you know, understanding that they don't want to do it probably goes for uh, fits and spans, like spans of, of not viewing. And then then they'll binge on it and then feel like they're awful and terrible. Then they'll they'll go for a while and doing it. And really it's getting rid of that underlying effect of you're not awful and terrible. The sexuality is real. That the human body is beautiful. Um, If you're attracted to it there's nothing wrong with that good for you um that that we we put sexuality in such a a can and try to compress it into it's okay in this little compartment and really learning that there's so much more to it than that and that it's really something that can bring you and your spouse together if you let it do that or it can actually destroy you if you can if you if you don't and so if you're sitting there thinking I can't tell my wife this because i she'll she'll never trust me again um or that you know i can't tell my wife this because she'll think i'm a terrible person then that's exactly what needs to happen right it needs to come to a place but i understand like i was on the other side i was so fruitful for it and the way i did it wasn't the right way so don't do it my way right um find a better way to do it but it's really realizing that the porn again like i talked about is just the smoke there's so many other underlying things in your life that you're doing that causes you to go to that. And if you continue to try to just fix the porn problem, you're never going to, it's never going to, it's never going to be fixed. And that's really why it's important to get someone like you, Zach, a coach, someone that can help you un- find out what the underlying things are. And that you're not, there's nothing terribly mentally wrong with you or both spiritually wrong with you. You're pretty normal. In fact, statistics say you're very normal. The only thing that would make you unnormal is if you actually come out and talk about it uh, to your spouse or other people. That's the unnormal part about it. So t- to me, I'm, that's what I'm saying. It's like, Yes, there's a lot of things to f- be af- afraid of, but know that that fear uh, can drive you to a good place if you're willing to overcome it and go about it in a good way and actually find out those things that are ultimately driving you to to, to the porn.
1: I think that's, you know, if I, if I can toot my own horn for a second, I think that's the unique difference between what we do and what a lot of the programs out there are geared towards. They are, they're there and they're saying, Hey, we're going to, we're going to stop this one particular behavior. But that behavior is driven as a result of the underlying issues. And in addressing those underlying issues with greater clarity and with greater understanding that allows you to set porn aside in a meaningful and, Permanent way, instead of being something that you like, like that woman who, or the the counselor who you you went and worked with, and she's like, "You're gonna, you're gonna be a porn addict forever." Like,
2: yep, you're done.
1: Yeah, that that's an impossible standard. That's an impossible task. No, there was even part like,
2: and to me, there was even parts of it where I was. um I guess I've gotten to the point where porn is a big deal, right? Like. I'm not going to go seek after it and say everyone should should view it, but yeah. to say that it's not a big deal, it doesn't have the clutches it once had for me. If I was ever to come across it, I wouldn't like feel like I've automatically felt slipped and now I'm addicted to it or I'm going straight to hell now because I viewed it and or anything like that. I've let it release the bonds it had on me, right, and put it where it properly is. It's a thing people do it, people misuse it. But not allowed to really just to control to control my life and i think that's what's most important right and you can only do that when you literally find out what's what the underlying parts we talked about are driving you to it and like i said if you don't do that then you're going to like white knuckle it or it's going to go to like you're going to over start overeating and that's not healthy for you or you're going to start you know playing too many video games because that's not healthy or you're going to go watch youtube for hours and hours and so I even think like by the time I, I'd come to see you, Zach, like the porn thing wasn't like a raging problem in my life. It was a lingering thing there, but there was all those other problems. Like we talked about my health and other things like that. And so to me, that's what I'm saying when you have a coach that can, can help you get to that point of it, it doesn't really matter what the the smoke is on the other side, what you're doing to buffer. It's really fixing those problems underneath it and letting porn be what it is. Right. And not letting it have, such a impact in your life.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's clear that you've taken your power back, right? I think a lot of people feel powerless. They feel as though porn has power. And that is, that's just not true. It it only has the power we give it. And you've clearly taken your power back. Uh, You know, and I like to call it agency, but it's really, you saying, you know, yeah, I can, I can choose this. I can't, I don't have to not choose this, but is this who I want to be? Is this me being integrated internally and externally as the person that I want to be and show up as?
3: You know, it goes back. Oh, go ahead. Amy. Oh, I think another interesting thing that I've learned in this journey is a lot of times our definition of sexuality is so narrow and it's limited to some acts in the bedroom that you do with the spouse. Right and and people are so fearful and so afraid and then there's so so many like rules that they might have heard of what to do or not to do but even just broadening your understanding that your sexuality is an inherent part of you for goodness it's what helps you feel alive it's what creates energy creativity connection attraction like all of these broader things that it's it's enforced in a much larger way than just like you know, those minutes you spent in the bedroom <laughs> with your spouse, is an actual force for goodness in your life all the way around. Like you can inherently love your sexuality and it can bring about more joy and creativity and, and knowing like your desires are good, your sexual desires and your life desires. And like, it's, it's seeing the goodness of all of it and not just being so fearful of this, this thing called sex. <laughs>
1: Well, so how did that change? As Greg and I worked together, how did that change from your perspective, Amy? Because you're like, yeah, this is great. But what what did that mean in a real sense for you, both in the bedroom and out of the bedroom with
3: Greg? I think it came first for usually the women on the other side of this, they're more of a lower desire or responsive desire or underdeveloped desire, don't even know who they are or what. They have no working definition of their sexuality. They have a lot of fears. They have a lot of inhibitions, uh, maybe a lot of insecurities about their body, which was all of me. All of those described me, so I'm describing myself. And it's coming, I think, maybe if the man or whoever is struggling with the porn has to turn around and face the storm that they're uh, in, like the woman... or whoever is on the other side has to turn around and face themselves. Like, who am I? And what do I want to create with my sexuality? And what do I desire? And how do I want to use this force? And how could it be something for good? And why do I even care about it? And what, what can it create for me? And like developing your own definition of your goodness and your body and, you know, like what you want in your relationship, all of these, like all of those are inherent in that. Absolutely. <laughs> Without a doubt. Remember I talk
2: about pinching myself a lot? Yeah, I myself a lot. Like, it's, like it, to think, one, that we're sitting on this podcast and, and knowing that we're going to be talking about this in public is, is just blows my mind. But to watch Amy now, you know, we did a, a marriage retreat, and Zach, I was there with you in St. George and did it. And to sit in the back and watch Amy coach about sexuality and talk about it, like, Almost on the floor because this is the woman that, like, if I even cracked a little joke that was somewhat suggestive a few years ago, I would get in, like, she would just rip me a new one. Like, that's personal. Like, we never talk about that stuff. What are you doing? Right. And she was so sorry, prudish, but I think that's the right (laughs) word to use. in the past that I was like literally sitting in the back of the room in that retreat, like, just can this be real? Can this really be happening? And so. Is is it help in the bedroom and sexuality? Absolutely, hundred um, percent.
3: Because you're fearful if you life. don't know, right? If you don't have a working definition, you're naturally going to be fearful. You're going to be inhibited. You're going to be uncertain. None of those really work well towards desire. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, and I want to I want to touch on this because I think a lot of people think, well, if I go one step down this path towards um, a more meaningful or open or intimate relationship then everything's just gonna blow open. It's gonna be like a dam that just bursts and we're gonna be, you know, hanging out at swingers clubs next week.
2: Right.
3: Oh, so I'm like burst how? <laughs> yeah, right, right.
2: right so, you know what, Satan's slippery slide, right? We're
3: happening on the slide. I just I just want to I, I
1: want you to talk about that from your own perspective because you've been on this journey for a number of years now. And that's you know, I think a lot of people think if I am one step too far then everything's going to go bad then and, and what's your experience been with that
3: i think that you don't lose your morals you don't lose your values you just create a sacred boundary within your marriage around each other that allows you to express them freely and openly and obviously we have the boundary of us of our marriage and so between us um we create a sacred space for us to play a sacred space for us for this expression of our sexuality and then that also spills over into our other lives in wonderful ways in that we are more attracted we are more connected we have more energy to face all of the daily demands of kids and finances and life and house right like you have all of those positive dopamines and serotonins for all the right reasons. And I don't Mm -hmm. think it means you're going to cross over your moral values because you decide between you, you're going to freely enjoy the gift you've been given. Yeah.
2: I think, I think um, we talked, we talked about it a little bit and we, we brushed on it about agency and choice, but it comes back to that, right? When you're so limited in thinking that I can only do a, B and C. And if I do, you know, if I come a little further past C, then now I'm, I'm done. God's not going to love me more. I'm off the cliff. You know, it's bad. I don't, I don't believe that's the way agency works at all. Right. I think God wants us to open up and understand what choices we have. He doesn't have a single path path for us that he's picked out for us or, or wants to be involved in our any degree, every parts of our details. He wants us to choose and to learn to choose. And when we, when we've learned to take back that agency and choose for ourselves, I think that's what's opened up everything, right, is to say, I own me. I'm going to take care of me. And Amy owns herself, and she's going to take care of herself. That allows us to have choices, Uh even to the point of before we'd never, like, divorce is the most worst thing in the whole entire world. Like, it's next to, like, you know, the the worst sin you could ever commit, right? It's next because to murder. That's it, right there next to murder. <laughs> if you've done that in the murder. And why, again, I don't suggest that once you go out and begin divorces and breaking up families, I think there's a bad consequence for it. Like, we'd never have that. Like, that would never have been an option ever because there was never a choice because it was so bad. When you live yourself with all the options, you actually can choose. When, when you know, if I've limited my, all my contact and everything just to my small bubble, am I really choosing my spouse at that point, right? Yeah. Like, if I have the options up there and to choose – it means more to Amy now that I'm I am choosing you. That's after all and all these options I have, you're the one that I choose. And, and he actually he has doesn't.
3: the choice, right? right? And I actually have the choice. So it's a free choice, freely given that has so much more meaning than if you're like, no, you have to choose me or I'll fall apart, or you know what would happen to like yeah. some of those other marks.
2: obligation is one of the worst things we come by, right? Yeah. Um, and we're taught over and over we should do things out of obligation. And when you do things out of obligation, it just uh, breeds resentment. Uh, eventually, you might do things, but in the end, you know. I know that Amy's had tons of clients, and I've talked to a lot of people that they were obligated their whole whole marriage. In the end, they're just very, very resentful. Yeah. Um, they can, don't have room to love or, or be close to each other because they're just resenting each other. So, kindness and righteousness out of obligation has no moral value to it whatsoever. Um, it doesn't help you grow in any way.
3: But I think too, like when I was that underdeveloped self, that was duty servicing you and obligation, it feels terrible because I was setting myself up to be used. And then I felt used, shocking. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, wait. So, and so, you know, there was confusion around even the goodness then and just not understanding like, Oh, you have to have a self and have the choice to freely give it. And that's, what's beautiful and has all the meaning.
1: Well, and I think we often think about this much more from the wife's perspective where it's like, well, she has to put herself in a position to where she can choose and participate in the relationship in a more ownership based position. But I think for men, especially those who struggle with pornography, I think there's a real sense that we can't really choose our spouse anymore. And because she can't really know who we are, right? And if she knows who we are, then then she will reject that person. So we cannot really choose her and let her know who we really are. And I, I think that's a big difference. I mean, I think you've described that, Greg, where you're able to now much more fully choose Amy by saying, this is what's real for me. And I still choose you, even though we don't always agree on everything. And even though I have opinions now that uh, previously I would never have
2: expressed to you. you. You know what, I think I've never thought of it this way, but just you talking like that, Zach has, has brought a thought to my mind that not only, not only can I have I chosen to Amy, but when you don't bring your porn and everything you're doing to your wife, you're taking away her agency mm-hmm. in a very enslaving way because she doesn't really have the ability to choose because she doesn't know there's a choice. She, she is, she's being fraudulently brought to of who you are. And as bad as you think that um, she might think of you and what the the actions might be, the worst thing we could ever do is to take someone's agency away. And I think I had never thought about it, but I think you really are taking their agency away because they don't have, they don't know what A and B is. They only know A and so they don't have an ability to choose.
1: I really appreciate you guys coming on and sharing your experience. Um, Is there any last thing that you uh, both of you would share with anybody who's thinking about, you know what, what should I do next?
2: I just got to say like um, one, hang in there. Uh, There's a lot of us out there, right? That's the other thing that needs to happen is we need to break this culture of shame amongst us. We need to speak out and be vocal we need to be able to go to church and say, I I had a porn problem. And uh, hi, nice to meet you. I know you have one too, because (laughs) basically you probably do. And um, instead of like, Oh, it's hush, hush underneath the the pews like that. We have got to get better at that. We just have to, that's, this will always be a problem until we do that. Um, And if you are struggling in any way and you need help, like go get it. Like it's ridiculous. Like the, Time and effort and, and the money, to be honest with you, that I spent with Zach was repaid to me hundreds of folds because not only did it help me get to a place where I was in my relationship, but it's helped me get to a place everywhere. I think that I've gotten promotions at work and I've become a better uh, employee, um, a better leader in my life. And so it's just not don't narrowly focus on uh, what you're thinking about and the benefits of, of, of doing this, but broadly think about the investment you're making in yourself by getting someone that can help you find out what you're emotionally struggling with and be able to deal with those. And uh, I would just say, like, don't hesitate. It's the best investment that you can make in yourself.
3: I think I would just say it seems like probably the most scary thing to face, but it could end up being the greatest opportunity because it will show you where you can grow. And, and though it may be difficult and painful sometimes to see that, Um, the honesty of that will bring about so much possibility.
1: I love it. I love it. I love, I love the change that, uh, that you've been able to find for yourselves doing this work is not easy. I think you're exactly right, Amy, but it is well worth it if you're willing to endure some of the difficulty of being exposed, being real with your spouse. And I think, I think you guys have demonstrated in a really clear way that when you work together with your spouse, that change is much, much more likely to be permanent and much, much more. uh, And you said it took a long time, but I think it happens a lot more quickly when you work together. Yeah. I think one person can move forward without the other, but it is a much harder road. I think. So thank you very much for, for everything. Uh, Love you guys you're you're uh i I told Amy, I think before you came on, greg that we should now it's time to go on a cruise together. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I like, will we've reached that level of friendship yeah oh,
1: oh,
2: we're we're
3: cruise, we're cruise
2: friends now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right, you guys. well, uh again, thank you so much, and I will thank talk you. to
2: everyone here next week.